as we go into uh, today's message, we're continuing our series on Am I Missing Out? Am I Missing Something? And today, uh, the title is I Want to See, Lord. I Want to See, Lord. Let me begin with this. Have any of you ever allowed your fear of embarrassment or your fear of what other people may think or your fear of being disappointed to ever keep you from doing something that you later came to regret? Have you ever allowed those kind of fears? Fear of disappointment, fear of what other people might think, or even fear of, of you know, how, um, just the fear of, you know, how embarrassed you might be if you do that and it doesn't turn out the way that you want it. Have you ever allowed that to keep you from doing something and you came to regret it? You know, whether it is maybe a moment at the workplace where there's a need for someone to step up and to take charge of something, but you didn't, even though deep inside you knew, oh my goodness, for some reason, I feel like this is the uh, moment that I've been raised for and I need to step up and I know that I can do this, but you allowed your fears to silence you. Or maybe the final seconds of an important game that you remember that you are a part of. And rather than taking the final shot in the final seconds, you pass off the ball to someone else because you don't want to be the one that's missing that final shot. Or for some of you, your high school dance hasn't been too far away. Maybe it was your high school dance, right? That you said, man, I should have asked that person to go with me or to be a partner with me to go to the dance together. But because of your fear of being disappointed or rejection or whatever it may be, you didn't ask. You know, there's a Chinese proverb that says this. It says, he who asks a question is a fool for five minutes. But he who does not ask a question remains a fool forever. You know, what what the Chinese proverb is bringing out is how much fear can prevent us from actually going out there, stepping out there and exploring something that we know may be uncertain, but we feel like we need to pursue it, but we allow our fears to silence us. And then we live with that for the rest of our life. Now, how many of us can, can relate with something like that, with some of the memories that we have in our past? You know, there are times in our life where we do allow our fear of what other people think, our fear of what other people say about us, to hold us back from attempting something that we know that we should be doing. That it isn't something that, something that we don't want to do, it's a, it's a feeling that comes from deeper within that we just know, I think I can do something about this. I think this is, this is a defining moment for me to step in into this. How many have allowed our fears to silence us? You know, I remember such a time, and it's a very small illustration, a small example. I remember when I was 16 or 17, I was working at Marineland. And when I was there, uh, I, was, I was part of guest services. I was placed in the aquarium where the dolphins have their show. And we were supposed to do, uh, we were supposed to do crowd control during that time. And so everything is getting ready. The show is about to start. But then suddenly, our supervisor reaches out to all of us on our, on our walkie-talkies. And we hear them, and they said, 
everyone gather in the back room. So we all went to the back room together, were surprised of what's going on, and then our supervisor told us, saying, something went wrong, we need one of you guys to step up, go up on stage, and there looked like there'd be like maybe around a thousand people there at that time. He goes, we need someone to go out there and, and occupy, stall the crowd, for five minutes until we get this uh, technicalities worked out. And for some reason, I, like when I was uh, younger, I was very timid. Um, <laughs> I'm still a little bit timid today, but back then I was a lot more timid. And uh, the kind of appearance that I had, I think, of other people too, when other people saw me is they saw me as that shy kid that's always at the back. You know, he's, he's there, but you don't really notice him. That was kind of the aura that I gave off. And I, but I remember... In a, in a very strange way, as soon as that supervisor said something, something strange happened within my soul, within this deepest part of me that actually surprised me. As soon as they said, we need someone to go out there and to do this, to stall and to entertain the crowd for five minutes until we get this worked out, something told me, I can do this. Eddie, this is for you. You can do this. It was weird. It kind of surprised me too because I never spoke in front of a crowd before. I never was comfortable, you know, leading a group of people. And so as I wrestled with this, what's this coming from? I wanted to say yes, but I'm scared at the same time. I'm being timid and I'm arguing back and forth in my head. And as I'm doing this, someone else from guest services that was with us, he stepped up and he says, well, I guess no one else is going to do it, so I'll do it. Right? So he went out and he led it, but he did such a terrible job. It was so bad. And as it was so bad, I went home to reflect on that a little bit more after that whole ordeal happened. And this is what I came up with is I, I realized by myself, I said, oh my goodness, this guy did such a terrible job, yet he still had the courage to go out there and still do it even though he was really bad at it. And it made me think, why did I resist? You know, what was this fear that was limiting me? And the more important question was, why suddenly, out of the blue, seemingly out of the blue, did it feel like that it was almost like a call? It was almost like something that I knew in my spirit, in my heart, in my deepest part of me. This was something that I can do. Where was this thing coming from? Where was this thought coming from? And I lived with that, reg uh, with that regret for the next couple, uh, next couple of months. And that's the moment where I realized maybe there was something that God was preparing me for. That God was drawing out of me, was calling out of me at that moment that I didn't know was really there. And today, as I, as I became a pastor and, you know, as I speak regularly in front of crowds, I recognize as I go back to that moment is that was that first call that I was not aware of, that God was saying in my spirit, in that deepest part, calling out of, a, out, out of dormancy, saying, you were created for this. We will read now about the blind man who had every excuse to remain timid and remain with the status quo in his life. So, but what we see the blind man doing is he actually steps up in faith and does not miss out on this very key defining moment of his life. And what he gets from that is the blessing 
that he has been searching for. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. All right, so that's Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. I'll be reading it for us. I'll be reading from the NIV. It reads this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. He shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received the sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. See, the first point that I want to make as we read this passage is this. We will always find pressure to silence our faith in the world. We will always find pressure around us to silence the faith that God has placed in us. In this world, our sight is always limited. What we see and how we act is always limited by the pressure we feel to conform to the world and what the world wants us to see. The norms that the world wants us to follow by. Just like the blind man, he had a choice. And the choice was this, is to give in to the pressure and to conform what society has placed on him as his limitation or the norms that they've established for him of you remain in your place. Or to actually cry out to Jesus. To believe that Jesus was bigger than, had a say in his life, despite what the crowds had to say. Notice that the way that the blind man actually calls out to Jesus. He says this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, we all know the definition of what mercy is. Mercy means this. Mercy is to have compassion or to extend forgiveness on a person who deserves punishment. Mercy is to extend compassion or to give forgiveness to a person who deserves punishment. Now, it's an interesting word choice that the blind man uses when he calls out to Jesus. He's asking Jesus, have mercy on me. He doesn't ask Jesus, give me grace. Give me a gift that I don't deserve. He first calls out and says, have mercy on me. The reason why I find this interesting is that it makes me wonder why he chose that word mercy. Why he chooses to to ask Jesus for mercy in his life. Well, the common thinking in that day was this. Is that if you had a physical ailment that suddenly came out of nowhere or seemed to come out of nowhere, the way that society, the the Jewish society and the Judaic thinking at that time was this. It was that someone must have sinned. It's either you sinned or your parents had sinned in order for you to deserve the punishment of blindness. 
See, this was the social norm at the time. And this is what the religious people taught people. Is they said, if you are going through a hardship in your life or something that seemingly comes out of nowhere, it's because you made a mistake. It's because you have sinned. And because this blind man was functioning through the lens of society at that time, I think this is why he asked Jesus this, have mercy on me, a sinner. Meaning this, everyone told me from early on, since I was born, that I was a sinner. And that's why I deserve blindness. From that moment on, his whole framework of his identity is all established on that insecurity, on that fact. You don't deserve sight because you did something wrong or your parents did something wrong. See, his mind is already confirmed with the pattern of thinking of this world. And he calls out to Jesus according to that norm. But look what the crowds try to do. So already the crowds have a grip on his mind. But as he cries out to Jesus, asking for mercy, asking, basically saying, sorry, God, I know I don't deserve this, right? But have mercy on me. The crowds, again, try to put their, norm, their norms on him and keep him within the status quo by silencing him and saying, you be quiet. You're disturbing it. Don't you know you have no place and no right to call out to Jesus? See, just like this blind man, a lot of us, there are moments in our life for some reason that come out of nowhere. We have this deep but concrete whisper in certain situations, certain moments of our life where we feel like this is the moment that I need to call out to Jesus. It may not make sense at that time. It feels like, what does Jesus, though, have to do with work? What does Jesus, though, have to do with this relationship? What does Jesus have to do with what I'm feeling inside? But that whisper that is inside, it's concrete. And just like this blind man, for some reason, this is your defining moment. You know, and it comes out of nowhere where you feel like this is an unlocking moment. For some reason, Jesus has stirred in my spirit to call out to him because he can do something about what I'm feeling, what I'm going through. See, when the blind man, he found out it was Jesus who was passing by, from the stories that he heard about this Messiah, he knew that this was the only person from which he could be healed. It was his only chance. He knows that doctors won't do it. His, his life to continue on the way that he's living, it won't do it. Only Jesus can heal him. So he takes this moment and he takes this opportunity and he runs with it. Now, can you imagine the courage that it must have taken to overcome all of those years of him being trained by the crowds and other people saying, you are not worth anybody else's time. All of his life, he lives with this, uh, with this mentality thinking that who he is, is an outcast of society. And the only thing that he deserves is the pity of people to give him coins every now and then to help him survive and to gather food so just so that he can fill his stomach. So then imagine with me the kind of courage that it must have taken for him to overcome two voices. First, a crowd's voice that tells him, you're not worthy to call out, so, so be quiet. And then his own voice that tells him, you're not worthy of anyone's attention. Why would Jesus answer you? What have you done for him? 
he doesn't only just do it once, but he does it repeatedly. I'm not sure if you've ever had the, uh, took the risk to just say, you know what, I'm going to try it. And then whether it may be a missed shot, right? You, may, you, you missed the first shot and you feel already shamed by that and go, man, I can't take another shot. And then the ball comes back into your hands and it's final seconds again. A lot of times for us, we would not dare take that second shot because we're already feeling insecure because we missed it the first time or there was no good uh, response or result the first time. Same thing with this blind man. He calls out to Jesus. Jesus isn't here. And for a lot of us, during that moment, because we're already insecure, we would stop calling out to Jesus on the, after that first try. We'd say, we already tried, but nothing happened. Right? And I'm already embarrassed. And already now I got the attention of all the crowds that are looking at me saying, what are you doing? Right? It's not doing anything, so stop it. But this blind man, he continues with that courage and saying, no, this is my only opportunity. And he does it again. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he still goes unanswered. And then people saying, be quiet. You're disturbing everything. You have no right. And this guy is not going to speak to you. And he goes, no, this is my only chance. I cannot remain silent. And with the amount of courage he's able to muster, he says it one more time. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He shouts all the louder. Despite all the fears, it's almost as if he's shouting against his own insecurities. You see, this voice that was speaking within, it must have been a compelling voice. Not just a voice that just simply said, maybe this time, you know, maybe this can work. It was a different voice that he heard that said, this moment was created for you. This moment was created to unlock something in you. And I think it was from that confidence that this voice wasn't just his well wishes or his own desires, that it came from somewhere else, that that's what caused him to cry out in this kind of way. He pursued this opportunity even when he felt timid and uncertain. For us, we will have defining moments in our life that surprise us as well, that seemingly out of nowhere, the still quiet voice begins to call us out of our timidity call us out of our comfort zone. And he says, call out to me here because I want to reveal something new in you today. So here's the second point that I want to lead us into is as we have pressures to silence the faith that is within us, our response to that is to ask audaciously. Is to audaciously ask Jesus. See, when Jesus finally does answer this blind man and he goes, bring him over to me. Right? And as he goes over, can you imagine now the disparity between his position and the teacher's position and Jesus' position? Already he's feeling, oh my goodness, now what do I do? Now I'm at the forefront. Right? Now what do I ask? Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? You see, that's a tough question for someone who has low self-esteem. The temptation is to not be bold. The temptation is to simply ask humbly. It may be saying, uh, God, you know, a lot of times people give me a little bit of money. Can you give me just a little bit more money to survive today? The temptation is to lower the ask, right? To something that we feel like we won't be disappointed in because we already have very little going for us. So we don't want to risk more disappointment. We don't want to risk more rejection, right? So we bring down the ask 
Rather than asking audaciously, we ask timidly. Maybe he would just say, can you give me some food for today? Or maybe, hey, do you think you can spare a bit of clothes so that it can last me another year? But when Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? He puts all of it on the line. He says, I already don't have much. So why not ask audaciously for what's really in my heart? And he says this. He just puts it out there. He doesn't ask for more money. To, and Jesus would probably give him more money. Jesus would probably give him food. Jesus would probably give him even more clothes. But he wants the impossible. What he feels like is an impossible ask. He says, I want to see. He risks total disappointment of Jesus not fulfilling it. I want to see. Nothing less. I want to see. His thinking was basically this. I'd rather attempt to do something great and fail than attempt to do nothing and succeed. That was his mindset at that time. Brothers and sisters, how about us? Do we find ourselves ask, uh, risking audacious requests to believe that God hears us and can do and actually do something about it? Or when Jesus asks us, so what do you want me to do for you here in this moment, right now? Do we become timid and we ask for something that we probably know that we could probably get from God, right? So that we prevent ourselves from being disappointed that God doesn't answer prayer or God can't do those big things in our life. See, brothers and sisters, timidity can really stunt our experience of Jesus. It can really stunt our faith. Look together with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. Look, what he, look at what Paul tells Timothy in this passage. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. See, what Paul does is he tells Timothy here that there are embers of God's vision. Embers of God's vision that before we were created, he said, he has implanted in each and every one of us. And these embers of God's vision that he has planted inside of us, it's meant to be fanned into flame. He tells Timothy, don't allow timidity to keep you from fanning that ember into the flame that it was meant to be. He says, fan into flame what? He says, the gift of God, not your qualifications. It's oftentimes going to be something that you don't know that you really have, but for some reason, you kind of feel like it's in there. That's the gift of God that he has placed inside of you. And then what he says to Timothy is this, is every part of you is going to say, no, really? But I've never tried that before. Or I've never seen it at work. Or I've never used that before. That's why Paul says, fan it into flame. 
Make sure that it's fanned into flame because it is a gift that God has given to us. That's why we don't need to ask for it. That's why it's not such an audacious ask because it's already there. You're not asking for something that you, well, of something that you don't have. It's already there that God wants to unleash. And to help us with this, look at what Paul tells Timothy. You're not on your own, he says to Timothy, but you are given his spirit. And this spirit does not give us timidity. This spirit, it gives us, what does he say? Power and self-discipline. Discipline to weed out of our minds every competing thought that is not from God. Discipline to say to our minds, no, I will no longer live into my timidity, but I will move forward in faith. Self-discipline is what the Spirit gives us. Power to accomplish this is what the, uh, what the Spirit gives us. Lastly, there's also the reminder that God will continually, He says, He calls us in into this holy life, into this life that is set apart from our life. What he says is, you know those moments that you have those quiet whispers? Those moments will continually occur in your life. At various moments, he's going to continually call you and saying, this is the moment where we get to the next level there. This is the moment where I unwrap a little bit more of this gift. So now fan it into flame. This is the moment. This is your defining moment. See, God calls us in into this. It's not by our ability. So it doesn't depend on our ability to plan but our ability to listen and trust. It doesn't depend on our ability to plan, but our ability to listen to that spirit and to trust. So when we do so, just like the blind man, let's look at the result of what we see. I love the description that Luke gives and provides what happens when he says, Lord, I want to see. He puts it out there. And Jesus says to him, as soon as he says, I want to see, what does Jesus say? He goes, you don't deserve that. Or wait a little bit longer. No, he says this, receive your sight. Receive your sight. Because I placed it in you. How? How does he receive his sight? Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says this, it's because your faith has healed you. What this blind man did was fan into flame this gift and it took faith to believe in this voice that called him out to make that bold step to believe that Jesus was calling him. Jesus could do something about it. And what Jesus says to him is that faith for you to follow through and to do this, that is what saves you. That is what healed you. He audaciously asked for something he knew only God could do and risked disappointment and whatever self-esteem he had left to do it. And afterwards, look at the result. It says immediately, and this is the, this is the language that Luke uses. He says immediately his sight was restored. But don't miss the two other results that Luke gives. Not only was his sight resort, uh, restored, but he began to do what? After his sight was restored, he didn't go off on his own and do his own thing now. It says this, he began following Jesus. Brothers and sisters, are we missing something in our discipleship, in our way of following God? Does it feel bland? Does it feel like it doesn't really work? It feels like religiosity. It feels like legalism at times. 
It's because of this. We don't allow our faith to fan into flame the gift that God has given us. And when we do that and we experience it, we immediately as well begin to follow Jesus. We trust him more. Look at the second result that comes out of it. It says now, and then the others, the crowd, the society that try to silence him, that same crowd that's trying to silence him now is praising God because of him. Said, and the crowds began to praise God because of what they saw. In other words, this audacious request leads to himself trusting Jesus even more and following him while transforming the crowds around him as well. So brothers and sisters, let's not allow timidity to limit what we ask God for when he calls it out of us. I, I, I need to make sure that we understand this. This isn't just our own request that we say, I want this, I want that, I want a bigger house. It's not that. It's when we feel that still quiet voice inside of us that, that seemingly comes out of nowhere and puts us in a situation where we feel like it's being called out of us. It's not, um, it's not a greed. It's not coming out of like, you know, wishful thinking. It's just something that stirs within that says, I was made for this moment and I need to step in into it. That. It says, when he calls us out of it, let us not live with timidity and allow timidity to limit us. Let's audaciously ask for what we want and fam it into flame because it's the gift that God has given us. Pray. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with this morning together to go into your word. And if we feel like we've been missing something in our faith, will you help us, Father, fan into flame that gift? And the way that we fan into flame, Father, is that when you speak to us in different moments of our life, where you call us towards that holy life, that set-apart life in various defining moments, Help us to step into faith, believe that you can do it, to believe that you have called us to do it, and to believe that you will resource us to do it through the power of your spirit and through self-discipline. So I thank you, Father. We commit each and every one of these precious children into your hands. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.